Hey everybody, this is Round 6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight, with me, your boy, Noah Petrie. I know, I know what you're thinking, another MMA podcast. I know, there's a lot of us out there, but if you like bold, unapologetic hot takes, a detailed, broken down view of the fight game, and of course, stomach-hurting comedy, well, come to the right place. What's going on, everyone? It is your boy, Noah Petrie. This is R6 MMA Talk, the fight after the fight. And this is episode 8. We back at it like a crack addict. So, I'm going to be going over the last week's fight card, which was UFC Cater versus Emmett. I'm going to be going over some of the stuff that's happening in MMA news and sphere. And of course, the predictions going on for next week, which is going to be Saryukian versus Gamrot. So, I'm going to jump right in it. Not going to give any background. Before I do that, actually, let's give a quick shout out to Juneteenth. As you know, Juneteenth is the day that slavery was revoked in the U.S. Texas did kind of fuck them over in that they didn't tell them. So uh, they were slaves for another 10 years in Texas. But, you know, Texas, Texas, what are you going to do? But, um, yeah, shout out to Juneteenth. I'm actually recording this Monday midday, which is extremely weird and extremely rare. Usually I never do this time because it's super, you know, when you live in New York City around this time, people get out of work, et cetera, et cetera, things get loud. Since most shit is closed now, it's extremely quiet on my block, which is, again, super rare. So I'm hoping that I can get through his entire podcast while having to stop or you know, edit some of the shit out later on. So hopefully that is the case. Please pray for your boy. I just want to freaking record a podcast where I don't have to edit out, you know, someone blaring their horn, um, going down the block or someone blasting Dembo or some shit like that. So so I'm going to get into last week's fight card there. So first up, the first fight is Silva versus Jadavikius, I believe that's her. That's you, how you pronounce her last name. She is French Canadian. Um, I'm not too. I actually my last name, I technically I think is French Canadian or French, but I think it's very common in French part of Canada, etc. I don't know. But um, Silva versus Jadavikius, and right off the bat, dude, Silva looked impressive. She looked fucking phenomenal. Her only loss her MMA career, I think, is to Marina Rodriguez. And this happened, I believe, two, three years ago. And Marina Rodriguez, someone who will be fighting for the belt fairly, fairly soon within, you know, next year or the incoming year. She's a very good fighter. Top level in the division. But, dude, Silva looked good. For that long layoff, she looked fucking phenomenal. Her striking is extremely well. One, she's extremely attractive. I have a thing for women with curly hair. My three weaknesses, one, curly hair, two, freckles, three, a bubbly personality. So she has one of the three. So immediately I'm going to find her attractive. But that being said, dude, her striking was phenomenal. Her striking was crisp. She was landing all her punches. Everything was uh, thrown with intent, was landing the mark. Now, she did what I saw was one thing that she should work on. She throws a lot of left high kicks. Every time she throws a high kick, it's going to be towards left. It was landing, though. So, you know no i can't give too much criticism there because when she was throwing it was landing but then again if your opponent knows that that's going to be your go-to for a high kick could cause you some problems but all in all her striking was very crisp one thing that she does extremely well is her head movement her head movement is very good she's able to slip out of punchers and counter 
very, very well. And that's actually pretty rare in a women's division. It's rare in all MMA, period, as far as head movement-wise. But especially in women's MMA, is extremely rare. So the fact that she was able to, to duck and dodge and, you know, and duck out of the way of punches, I was extremely impressed by her. I'm a sucker for head movement. I love seeing good head movement. So I'm legit a fan. Uh, Jessavikas didn't have anything for her. Also, Silva's takedown defense is extremely good too. Um, it, it was literally just a one-sided fight. I am a fan. I am looking forward to see her fight next. And in this division where there, there's really not too much going on right now, I, uh, I, I, I want to see her fight more. Absolutely, 100%. I am a fan and I want to see her next fight. Then we're going to go into Yanez against Kelly. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. There are times where... It's it's for me. It's very very rare when I truly want someone to win. Because when I, I I think I alluded this in the last week's podcast. So when I watch fights, I just view it as pure entertainment. I'm not really going for one person or another person. Um, I'm just viewing it to see who wins, how they won, um, and just truly viewing it as a sport of my enjoyment. But for this fight, I was fucking hoping Kelly. Got knocked the fuck out. Kelly, as you know, was the guy who... Uh, I forgot who he was cornering. I forgot her name. But that's his girlfriend. And she, basically, she suffered. She was fighting a Brazilian fighter. She got poked in the eye. He was saying how... Because all the, the, the corner... He was cornering her coach. He was mic'd up. All the corners are mic'd up. He was saying, you know, these dirty Brazilians cheat, etc., etc. Which is extremely racist. And the whole MMA community was fucking thrashing him a new one all the brazilian mma fighters and brazilian fans were extremely mad so everyone was just hoping literally hoping that yanez was going to be just to put it on him and knock him the fuck out i did love that as soon as kelly walked out um everyone was booing him and it, it when it comes to austin and texas you know you the, the crowd is hit or miss. You don't know where you're going to get there. But the fact that everyone was booing him, I fucking love that aspect. So they all know he's a piece of shit. The dude got laid out in the first round. Very bad, too. It was a bad stoppage, but I'm happy it was a bad stoppage. The referee could have let it be stopped a, li- you know, a little longer. Maybe he could have took a little bit more damage. But, dude, Tony Kelly, fuck that guy. Straight up, fuck that guy. He's obviously racist he was talking crap to Yanez the whole time after the fight the dude was like bro I wasn't out Yanez is like dude you're out you're flat on your back Kelly was like no you were out doesn't make any sense obviously Yanez wasn't out he just knocked you the fuck out so dude the fact that you fucking get knocked the fuck out and you can't humble yourself and take the loss you're just a piece of shit you're a racist piece of shit and you're just overall just a piece of shit so I'm extremely happy that Tony Kelly lost. I'm looking forward to seeing him lose more and more in the, in, in the coming years. I just hope that this is going to be his kind of thing going forward. I didn't see what Dana White or anything or what he had to say about it. I guarantee you Dana would say some shit like, oh, that's how the fight game goes. This is karma, etc., etc." Just as an excuse for him not to address his fighter saying a racist shit. So I'm, I'm very happy that... Yanez got the win. Yanez, dude, his his boxing's phenomenal. His boxing is phenomenal. He has some of the best boxing in all of MMA. He is a a serious contender at 135. He is slowly climbing up the ranks. I would love to see Yan. Someone in Twitter, you know, uh, set this out. But Yanez against O'Malley. That's an interesting fight. That's a good fight. 
I would love to see that. I'm not sure who would win in that in in that exchange. To be honest with you, maybe O'Malley can uh you know with the kicks and that kind of stuff because you know Giannis tends to fight at boxing range and boxing distance. So maybe with all the the kicking there and the constant switching of positions, um sw- switching of stances would give Giannis some problems but I'm getting ahead of myself I think that would be an amazing fight and I'm sure that fight would happen one day eventually I think those two are going to meet but dude Giannis striking is fucking phenomenal I'm so happy Tony Kelly lost and I'm looking forward to the next Giannis fight I'm truly am a fan I think he's one of the best prospects that Dana White got the contender series so far some of these contender series guys haven't been living up to the hype or to, you know, the potential. But Giannis is one of those dudes who absolutely is, and he's just getting better and better. Now we're going to be going over Rodriguez, uh, Rodriguez against Marquez. Now, there's not really much to go over here. Rodriguez looks fucking phenomenal. He he has a phenomenal ground game, but dude, his striking is is something to be, it is is fearsome. So what I really want to go over was just a horrible stoppage by Malk Beltran. That's what I truly want to go over. There's not really much to go over in the fight because the fight ending sequence, everything happened within the first round and it was all over the pace and there's not really much to break down and go over technique wise. But really what's standing out to me the most and what's standing out to everyone else the most was the terrible stoppage by Mike Beltran. Marquez took damage far more than he should have by far far more than we should have he he was taking a beating for the entirety of the round so right off the bat the dude was taking a beating for that round he got dropped i believe four or five times in the round as well what i think what should have happened and where the fight should have been stopped was when rodriguez was able to drop into his knees it was hitting with elbows Marquez was just guarding up. He was shelling up. He wasn't, you know, grappling or trying to get into a different position or anything like that. So at that point, the fight should have been stopped. The Mike Beltran let it go on a little bit longer than it should have. Marquez eventually went out, unfortunately. I just think overall it was a bad stoppage on Marquez. I mean, bad stoppage on Mike Beltran. But you can't, you know, you can't put anything past Marquez. The dude is a warrior. He fought his heart out there. And, dude, Rodriguez is a, it's a serious threat on the feet and on the ground. Um, fucking terrible name, Robocop. I don't know why they call him Robocop. I'm not even sure. I have to look that one up. But either way, solid victory on him and just overall bad stoppage in regards to Mike Beltran. Now I want to go over Buckley against Duraev. And, dude, here's my issue with this. Did Joaquin Buckley look good? I'm not saying he didn't look good. He looked good. He did. He still has some defensive errors that he needs to fix. He still gets tagged a lot. He was getting he did get, get caught with a left high kick from the right a few times. But overall, defensively, he is improving. Of course, his offense is very good. He's very explosive. Now, offensively, he's very formidable. Here's my thing though. So everyone just praising Joaquin Buckley. I saw a lot of errors on his end, not just in some of the defensive aspects of it, but also in the offensive aspect. He only throws big looping shots. His only offense is, is extremely explosive, big looping shots, and 
dude, if you have, if he's fighting someone who is a very technical fighter, who is, who stand up is very technical, he's going to have some problems. He needs to clean those up. He needs to focus on throwing combinations and throwing jabs and learning when to use that explosive power. I just think everything he does is just explosive. So every aspect of what he does offensively is just he's just using the explosive power, which isn't good because that's how you gas out. So I would love to see him really dial that back a little bit, go towards the fundamentals, and really start to learn how to or when to use that explosive power the right way and use proper timing. So that's one thing that I think Buckley can definitely work on, but either way, it was a great performance on his behalf. Defensively, he is improving. I do think he should move down to 170, though. I think he can move down to 170. I think it's possible as far as you know, height-wise and stature-wise. He is on the bigger side, so maybe he had to lose some muscle there. But I do think he's he's as far as height and body type-wise, he he's is he's he is on the smaller side of 185. He's on the smaller side. I do think a cut to 170 can definitely benefit him. He would be like someone like Kamaru Usman, who is very, very big for that division. So I do think that can help him, especially when you're you're defensively, you have some errors there. I think that could be the, the possible right move for him. But he did look good. I think this is by far the best performance of this career so far. I'm looking forward to seeing him develop and progress as a fighter. But there are some things he does still need to work on in regards to defense and regards to offense as well. Now I want to go over Kevin Holland against Tim Means. Tim Means probably has a worse, worse nickname, a fighter name, and all of MMA, the Dirty Bird. It, I would fucking hate for that to be my fighter name, to be honest with you. But Holland looked good. Holland looked good. Now, Holland, we all knew that Holland has an issue in regards to takedowns. Not take down offense, take down defense. So if you're able to take Kevin Holland down, that's basically the fight for the most part. If you're able to take him down and keep him down, then you basically won that bout. So his takedown defense still needs work. It does still need work. But what definitely improved is his scrambling. His scrambling is very good. His scrambling, it got very, very good. Tim Means was able to take him down a few times, but Kevin Holland was able to spring back up to his feet right away. Then again, Tim Means is not necessarily known for his his grappling. He's very well-rounded. He can do it all, submissions, um, striking, grappling, wrestling, etc. He's a very well-rounded veteran, but he's not necessarily known for his grappling. So maybe if someone who is a stronger wrestler in 170, like a Sean Brady or a, a Rachmaninoff, someone like that would give Kevin Holland an extremely hard time. But from what I saw overall in his scrambling, his scrambling looked good. Takedown defense still needs to improve. He is working on it, but his scrambling looked his scrambling looked very good. I think the 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 division change from 180 to 175 for Holland is so key. He he wasn't small for 185, but he was fighting dudes with a bigger frame. And when when you know grappling and wrestling is your weakness, and you can make the weight class below you, it's better to go to the weight class below you. So you're not fighting guys who are big for that. You know the upper weight division can hold you down more easily. Um, so I think the weight change was definitely pivotal for Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland has very good striking, um, mostly in the boxing side. He doesn't throw much kicks. I would like to see him start to throw more kicks and utilize leg kicks or body kicks um, and maintain that distance. He does have long arms, so I think that would help him. 
Um, and he does have some pop behind his punches. He has some pop behind his punches. I wouldn't say he's necessarily known as you know, a knockout artist, but the dude can finish. The dude can can knock you on your ass pretty easily. So that's what he did to Tim Means, and he sunk in a Darcy got submission win. No one would have ever thought in a million years that Kevin Holland was going to win by submission. So it's just a testament that he is improving. I do think this is the, the proper weight division for him. I think he called out Sean Brady afterwards, which is a horrific matchup for Kevin Holland. Now on the feet, I think Kevin Holland can, can compete with anyone in the feet in that division. But Tom Brady is fucking phenomenal in regards to wrestling. It's a bad match of Kevin Holland. Kevin Holland is game to fight anyone, so I respect that. But I do think someone like a Neil Magny will be a good next step for Kevin Holland. And that Neil Magny is a ranked opponent. Uh, I don't think Neil Magny is going to beat Rachmaninoff coming up. I'm going to get into that later. So fighting someone who's a Neil Magny, who you know is not going to take it to the ground or grapple and is going to stay on the feet for the most part, I do think that will be a fun, entertaining fight. And I do think that's a fight that the UFC should make for Kevin Holland, win or lose for Neil Magny. Um, if he win, yeah, win or lose for Neil Magny. So I'm excited to see Kevin Holland's development. He is improving, which I love and I think is good. Now I want to get into the main event, which is Cater versus Emmett. Now there is a lot of controversy in the MMA community regarding this fight. Some people gave it for Cater. Some people gave it for Emmett. I can honestly see either or in either case. Now here's how I scored it. Here is how I scored it. I had round two, round three, and round five for Emmett. I had one and four for Cater. There was a judge who gave round four for Emmett, which I don't understand how. I think that was clearly Cater's round. So two, three, and five, I gave it to Emmett. Here's the thing. When I watch fights now, when I judge fights, I do it from the judging criteria. The, the judging standpoint and judging criteria. So before, I would just watch fights and just visually watch it. And from what I'm saying, I would determine who wins. Now, if I were to if I were to watch the fight like that, how I viewed fights before, I would say Cater won. Because I do think Cater did a very good job utilizing that left jab. Was it doing much damage? No. Was it stopping Emmett's forward momentum, which it's counted very highly in Texas? in their state commission for some reason no it didn't but did he was he doing the most effective striking i believe so i think he was landing that left jab flush left and right constantly throughout all five rounds i do think he obviously um landed more strikes as far as volume wise i do think he had the crisper striking and i do think that he did very good at covering up defense defensively from emmett's big looping explosive right hands because Emmett would just swing that right hand. And for the most part, Cater did a very good job covering up. Cater has fairly good defense. So he every time he was laying that left jab and Cater and Emmett would come in with that big right hand, he would cover up for the most part. He would evade that attack. So I do think he had the overall better striking as far as the entire fight. The most effective striking as far as the entire fight. So I can see why most people would give it to cater or would view it as a win for cater i would have done the same thing a year two years ago but now that i'm viewing fights from a judging criteria standpoint i perfectly understand why they gave it to emmett because yes cater did more effective striking in my personal opinion but emmett landed the more 
the harder shots. All the shots that Emmett threw, he landed harder shots. Every time he hit Cater, Cater would kind of, you know, move back a couple steps. In regards to Cater, every time he hit Emmett, Emmett just kept going. So when you look at the forward momentum and pressure that's being counted so highly in the Texas State Athletic Commission and their judging system, and you look at who is landing the harder damaging shots, which is by far the biggest judging criteria in any um, athletic state commission in all of MMA, you have to logically give it to Emmett in that regard. As far as, again, judging from what the judging criteria is, is a clear win for Emmett. It's still a very close fight, a very entertaining fight, but I do think that it was a clear round two for Emmett. I think round three was kind of up in the air, and I think even though even though Cater was able to land more significant strikes in the fifth round, Emmett did throw the bigger, harder shots and landed them, so that goes to Emmett's round. So, it, it, I just feel like a lot of MMA fans, they don't understand the judging criteria, and when they call a fight a robbery or anything like that, they, it's because they... They simply don't know how to view and judge fights. They don't see, they don't judge the fights and how the judges are judging the fights. And I'm not, I'm not defending judges at all. Some of these judges are fucking retarded. Like for instance, Saldi Amado, I think gave four rounds to Emmett, which is stupid. There's no way you can get four rounds to Emmett. He gave Cater one and I think he gave Emmett the rest. How do you score? How do you score the fourth round for Emmett? I have no fucking clue. But I'm, I'm not trying to defend the judges whatsoever. They're fucking terrible. Especially in the Florida Athletic Commission, the Texas Athletic Commission, a few other states. It's just fucking horrendous. New York being one of them. Fucking terrible. So I'm not trying to defend them at all, but I can see as to why they gave Emmett the nod in this regard. And of course, when it comes to MMA fans, they're all going to cry robbery in every close fight. Every close fight you see is always a fucking robbery somehow. When in reality, that's just really not the case. So, I think it was a very good fight. I think it was entertaining. I think the right man won. Honestly, I wanted Emmett to win anyway. As I said in my my last episode, when I was picking Emmett, Emmett won me $300. Fucking shout out to Emmett. When I was picking Emmett, I gave the reason as far as I think Cater is the overall better fighter. But Emmett's a dog. He's a live dog. He throws, you know, he has the most power in that division. His striking is still very good. He he can wrestle if he wants to. He doesn't utilize it often. I don't know how good is Cater's takedown defense. I later found out that it is fairly high, but then again, no one really shoots on Cater like that. So I, I gave my pick. I said, I think Cater's going to win, but I would bet money on Emmett, which I was correct there. Which I was correct there and a happy was correct there because I won money. And if you listen to me too and you did that pick, you won money as well. So shout out to you and I. But honestly, I am more happy that Emmett won over Cater. And the reason why is because it just stirs up the division more. As I was saying in the last episode, right now, 145 is it's in a it's in a state that I do think as far as top 10 wise, or Top 10, top 15, I think 145 has the best top 10, top 15 of all of MMA right now in the UFC. When you look at that division, the top of that division, dude, is nothing but murderer's row. Everyone's a banger in that division. 
It's going to be phenomenal to see some of these fights happen. But I do think there's some disparity at the very top. And, you know, the top six guys have been around for years now and they're constantly fighting with, within each other. And I want to see someone like a Josh Emmett, who is on the older side at 37 years old, who don't have much time left to be time left, to be throw in the mix to see how he fares against these guys. Now, I do think Emmett should get the next title shot because why not? Why, it doesn't make any sense as to why he shouldn't. One, Yair just lost to Max. Ortega just lost to Volkanovski. Now they're fighting. I don't think that one win over each other should get the next title fight over Max or Volkanovski. I would like to see someone new get that shot. Which in, John, in Josh Emmett, who hasn't fought either Volkanovski or Max Holloway yet. So it will be a brand new, fresh matchup. And on top of that, Emmett's coming off a win streak. Those guys currently are not. They're coming off losses. So it doesn't, it, to me, it doesn't make any sense if one of them gets a title shot after you know, that victory. If anything, if anything, you can have Emmett fight the winner of Ortega and Yair. And there would fight the winner of Volkanovski and Max Holloway. You can do that. That's something you can also do. But personally, I see I have no problem giving Josh Emmett the next title shot. It's a fresh matchup. It's fresh for division. He is on the older side. Anyway, I think it's a win-win across the board for everyone. Now, that being said, as far as what's next for Calvin Cater, I would have Calvin Cater fight someone like Korean Zombie. Korean Zombie, still a very good fighter. He did have a very tough loss. Um, his last his last loss against Volkanovski, but I do think it will be a fun, entertaining matchup, and both men bang. So I I, I think that would, that will be the next for Calvin Cater. But I don't feel bad for Calvin Cater at all. He'll be in the mix very very soon. I do think as far as what Emmett should have worked on that fight, he should have went more to the body. He did throw a couple left hooks to the body, and he did land. I would have loved to see him throw more left hooks to the body and leg kicks. He wasn't able to stop. Cater's movement and that Cater was constantly, you know, evading the hard strikes and circling out of it. If he would have chopped at that that lead left leg that would be able to stop Cater's movement, he would be able to land those harder shots more easily, more cleanly on top of going to the body, cutting Cater's stamina off. So I do think that's something that he should work on. Cater, of course, he doesn't really throw leg kicks at all. That's something I would love to see him work on as well. Um, but either way, very good victory on Emmett. I do think that his corner gave him fucking terrible advice, though. His corner basically said, "You're up three rounds to one going into the fifth. You never want to tell you never want to tell your fighter that. I don't care if they actually are winning three rounds to one. Never tell them that. Because here's the thing: you probably don't know the judging scoring criteria, or you probably are looking at the lens of you're looking at the fight." Not in a third-party objective perspective, but you're looking at it as in, in, in kind of a flawed aspect or a flawed view because you want your fighter to win. Obviously, because you're cornering them, you're their coach. So you might be looking at it in favor to them. The judges aren't looking at it that way. So to, for you to say that your fighter is up three rounds to one, and it, honestly, a very close fight, that's terrible. That's terrible advice. Fucking terrible corner advice horrendous i'm surprised no one really pointed out as i was listening to other people talk about the fight no one was really pointing that out which is kind of shocking to me i personally if i'm a corner and i'm someone's coach 
if my fighter is clearly winning three rounds to one, like clearly three rounds to one, I'm not telling them that they're winning three rounds to one. I'm saying, listen, it. all right, here's what I would have said for Josh Emmett being in his corner. I would have said, Josh, very close round. I think you won the last round to give him that confidence. If it was very close round, I think you won the last round. But this is a very close fight. You have to go out there and take round five. If you don't take round five, we're going to lose this fight. You don't want to give it to the hands of the judges. You have to give them something to make them to think that you won the fight. You have to go out there and take round five. If you don't take round five, we're going to lose this fight. This fight is extremely close. You can do it. I believe in you, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Something along those lines. Or if I have a fighter who is clearly winning three rounds to one, I'm like, listen, I think we're up. But either way, we don't know what the judges are scoring. We don't know what the judges are viewing at. You have to go out there and take that last round to seal the deal and make sure that you win this fight. Do not leave it into the hands of the judges. Go out there and fucking take the round. I would say something along the lines of that. You never, you never want to think that you're up in a close fight. In a very close competition, you never want to think that you're up. You never want to tell your fighter that they're up, especially in the very last round, because there they can, they can, you know, you, they, they can take the the foot off the pedal and kind of relax that round. I'm happy that Emmett didn't do that and he went after it in that last round. I think that's what won him the round. If he would have took a step back, and like, yo, I'm winning three one, he would have lost. One hundred percent, I think he would have lost. So. Shout out to Josh Emmett for getting the victory. I do think that he should get the next title shot. But again, I think that his his corner's advice was honestly not the best. Now I want to get into MMA news and drama. So Kevin Holland stops a perfume thief in Austin. Bro, Kevin Holland is basically a superhero. It's very strange because... How is he stopping all this crime? Why is this crime... It's like crime is attracted to him now. Because he's constantly saving people left and right from random weird shit. Like literally left and right from weird shit. So it's either he's just out all day and just going. It has to be this. It's either he's just going out all day. Just going around different places. And stumbling across this shit. Or he's going to like bad neighborhoods and bad parts of towns and seeing this shit happen. Or he's just attracting it somehow. But either way, it just shows that Kevin Holland's a good dude. And I just thought it was fucking weird and how he's always stopping crime now. Dude is literally a fucking superhero. He should be in the boys. Now, he, I want to get into this. It's, it's, it's not none of the major MMA organizations. I think it was on the smaller side promotionally in some random organization in Russia. Bro, the Russian leagues... My fucking God, they really let anything fly. And I'm not trying to shit on Russia right now, even though I should from what's happening over there. I'm not trying to shit in that country right now because that country has, you know, has brought out very, very, very good fighters. A lot of good fighters. A lot of, you know, some of the top guys in all of MMA right now are Russian. But dude, some of their leagues, man, they're just, it's just not good. It's just sloppy all around. And basically, a fighter in one of those smaller Russian promotions cover, had a Nazi tattoo across his stomach. They covered it up with green, literally neon green duct tape. And the dude, during the day, works in tattoo removal, which is fucking hilarious. The literal irony in that. So they let a fighter who has Nazi tattoos 
fight on live TV for them. They put duct tape on it, literal duct tape around his stomach, thinking that that was going to stay once he started sweating. Once he started to sweat, it peeled off, and everyone sees this fucking swastika on the stomach. Dude, here's the issue with MMA. MMA, a lot of these MMA promotions, a lot of these fighting organizations, they literally just don't care what motherfuckers' backgrounds are. You can be a white supremacist, and they're still going to give you opportunity to fight. Dude, we have to really, really start doing some quality control in that it doesn't matter if someone's a good fighter or not. If they have a really bad, messed up background or have fucking Nazi tattoos, blatant Nazi tattoos, we shouldn't be doing this. We should not be put, you know, putting these guys on live television. We should not be giving these guys opportunity. And on top of that, he lived, he works as a fucking, what's it called? As a, as someone who removes tattoos for a living. It makes no sense. Just fucking remove the tattoo. Literally just remove it. It's what you do for a job anyway. So it's just disgusting to see, honestly, man. And it's not just because it's a Russian organization. Listen, as I said beforehand, a lot of great fighters came from Russia. So many. Khabib, one of the greatest fighters of all time, came from Russia. Islam, Russia. Um, Shakhov Rukmanov, I think it's, 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 it's He's from a Russian state or somewhere very close by to it. A lot of these good fighters, these great Sambo athletes are coming from Russia. So I'm not trying to shit on Russia at all. Trust me. Um, But what I'm trying to shit on is that a lot of these smaller MMA promotions, don't matter what country they are, across the world, they really just will let anyone fucking fight. And even the larger corporations, like the UFC, for example, Tony Kelly saying racist shit, didn't say anything about it didn't say anything about it and just say free speech etc etc so there's just a lot of terrible people in mma honestly this really is the case it's a lot of terrible people in mma and there's a lot of terrible fans of mma too gonna be honest with you um then i want to get into Oliveira accusing the arizona state athletic commission for tampering with the scales ahead of his title bout with justin now here's the thing right there, was there some tampering of the scales? I wouldn't say tampering of it, but I do think that they kind of fucked around with the scales a little bit. Because they were switching from kilos to pounds, from kilos to pounds, from kilos to pounds. And they were constantly just fucking around with the scale in general. It wasn't guarded or, or et cetera, et cetera. And there is some truth and validity. When you switch from pounds to kilos on a scale, it can very much fuck with the overall you know, the accuracy in the scaling. This happens all the time. Scales can honestly be fucking really unpredictable at times. So when, and I love that the UFC after this incident basically said, listen, we're going to hire someone to guard the scales and to set everything up so that this doesn't happen again. I think this should have been the case, you know, a long time ago. But I like that they're taking that proactive step now. What I don't like is that Oliveira is key. It's it's just not taking the blame for the for the weight miss. I'm not. Maybe he maybe he came in one for one fifty five right on the dot, and the scale was just fucked up. Maybe, maybe not. But at the end of the day, listen, you missed weight. It is what it is. It is what it is. You what I would like, what I prefer for him to say is just to take the accountability. Like, listen, I would have been. I think that the scale was fucked up and people were fucking with the scale and that's what fucked me up. 
But at the end of the day, it came out 155.5. It is what it is. It's on me. It's not going to happen next time. That's what I would have preferred, to be honest with you. But him just taking that responsibility and moving on with it. But he he really shouldn't be crying about it anymore. It happened. It's in the past. We're moving forward. Everyone knows he's a champ. We just want to see him fight Islam already. Then we have Darren Till thinks that Sean Strickland would either grapple Pereira and win in that fashion or Pereira would knock him out. And I think this is fairly true. I think this is fairly accurate. I think as far as striking-wise, even though Strong Strickland is very good striking, very good striking, and he's more so of a volume striker, you shouldn't be on the field Pereira. No one should be on the feet with Pereira in that division right now. No one. The only person who, could, who should possibly compete on the feet with Pereira is on the side of the champion. Because they fought two times. Granted, the last time didn't really go on the Sunday's way at all. But either way, I think that's the only person who can compete on the feet of prayer right now. The dude is just a monster on the feet. You, sh- If you know that the guy just came from kickboxing or um, you know Muay Thai and his ground game is not going to be that good. His defensive wrestling is not going to be that great. You should think and go the smart route and go towards grappling to get... A secure, I'm not going to say necessarily easier, but a more surefire victory. You don't have to go through that storm. If, if, you're, if, you, if you can avoid the storm, avoid the storm. If you can go around the mountain, go around the mountain. You don't have to climb it. You don't have to go through the storm. It doesn't make any sense to do any of that. So I, I think that's 100% accurate. I think if Sean Strickland's going to win, he's going to have to grapple Pereira. You can't strike with him. You're going to have to grapple him. If he starts to strike with Pereira, not saying that he can't compete. I think he can. Sean Strickland does get hit, though. He does get hit, and you can't get hit with someone with the power of Pereira. So I do, I'm do. i very, very excited for that fight. I think they're streamlining Pereira. I think rightfully so because that, that middleweight division is kind of dead right now, and we want to breed a new life. So I'm very excited for that fight. I am looking forward to it, and I want to see what happens. And last but not least, and this is unfortunate news, Zabit announces his retirement. I think he was having some heart issues or some issues regarding his heart or cardiovascular or etc. And he literally got to the point where he just couldn't compete anymore. He announced his retirement. He's pulled out of the USADA testing pool and he says he wants to go on and become a doctor. Now, when it comes to MMA retirements, I take it at face value. Because dudes will retire for like, you know, a year, two years. Like, oh, I'm coming back. You know, the whole GSP meme. I'm coming back. So I take it at face value when it comes to MMA retirements. One person that I think will never come back is Khabib. But I do think Zabi is one of those people too. Not because he doesn't want to compete anymore necessarily. But also because health-wise, he just can't. He just can't compete health-wise. And I think he said too, he just doesn't have the motivation to hurt people anymore. When you don't have that motivation to hurt people anymore, bro, it's best to pull out. It's always best to pull out. It, there's no reason to keep fighting and fighting a sport where you have to hurt people when you don't feel like doing it anymore. When your love for it's gone, just leave. Because if you keep fighting without that love there and you do it you know, as a chore because it's the only way to make money, it just doesn't end well for you. doesn't end well for most people. So I love the fact that he acknowledged one his health is just not going to allow him to fight at the level of competition that he wants to anymore. And he doesn't have that motivation. So this chapter of his life is done and he's going to go elsewhere. 
It was a pleasure watching him fight. I would have loved to see him fight more and fight some of these top guys. Um, but it's just, this is the game. This is the game of MMA. We have so many other fighters, so many what-ifs that could have happened in MMA. Like the big one, Tatiana Suarez, because the injury, and, and a bunch of other guys. It's such a huge, long list that I'm not going to start naming names. But all in all, he was a tremendous fighter. He was one of the top guys in the division. It's unfortunate we never seen him fight Max or Volkanovski to see how he compete with those two guys. Um, but I think it's best that he's retiring if this is the case. Now, I want to get into the Petri predictions. We have Gamera against Sarukian. Here's the thing. I am shocked that Sarukian has such a high betting odd against Gamera. Gamera, last time I checked, currently sits at plus 200. So, Sarukian is a 2-1 to one favorite for this fight. I'm not saying that Sarukian shouldn't be favored. I think he should be favored. I think he really should be favored. But 2-1, to one, I think, is a little steep. In that Sarukian is very good. Yes, both men have a wrestling background. Both men have a wrestling background. Um, I would say as far as overall record-wise and who they've beaten, I would say Gamera has a better record. He was a former champion and LGA, I believe, a featherweight and lightweight champion in, in that organization. Um, I do think he has some more experience than, than Sarukian. I do think possibly Sarukian's overall the more rounded, more well-rounded fighter. But, dude, this is an interesting fight. This is a very good fight. I'm super excited for this fight. If you're going to bet on this fight, again, I do think Sarukian should be the favorite. And I think that he would win this competition. But it's the exact same thing as the Emmett fight. Gamera is a live dog. You should put money on Gamera. You should absolutely put money on Gamera. If Sarukian's 2-1 favorite, and I think this fight is going to be extremely close, I would put money on Gamrot, which I already did. Now we have Magni against Rachmanov. God, such a fucking terrible fight for Magni. Why would you take this fight, Magni? Why, bro? Magni is the king of taking terrible matchups. Magni, um, freaking Rafael Desanos, those guys are the worst at taking matchups, man. I respect it. Don't get me wrong. I 100% respect it because they fight anyone. They're like, yo, I'm going to fight anyone. doesn't matter. I respect the game bread in that. I really, really do. But the thing is, dude, this is such a bad matchup for you. I think the Rakhbadov is a 3-1 favorite. If you want to win 100 bucks, just throw 300 on Rakhbadov, and I'm sure he was gonna, he's going to win. So... It's just, I'm not trying to downplay Magni. On the feet, I think Magni can compete with just about anyone. But, dude, Rachmaninoff is going to wrestle him. He's going to ground and pound him. He's going to smash him. So, I don't see this fight leaving the second round. I think it's going to go to Rachmaninoff. Rachmaninoff is dangerous. I have higher hopes or higher aspirations for Rachmaninoff than I do for Shemaev. To be entirely honest with you, I think if they fought Rachmaninoff, would win. I'm not going to get into that. But, dude, if you want to win quick money... Throw 300 on Rachmanov. He's going to win. This is such a bad matchup for Neil Magdi. Um, then we have Umar Namakamedov against Nathan Maines. This is a very good fight. This is a very good fight. And a very interesting fight. I do think that Umar is going to edge it out through his wrestling. But I'm actually excited to watch this fight. But dude, this fight card is fucking phenomenal. This is another fight card that's phenomenal. Last week, this past weekend, was phenomenal. I didn't even go through the entire fight card. Nothing but non-stop finishes and entertaining fights. 
This fight card is honestly just as good, if not even a little bit better. And the pay-per-view coming up on Asanya against uh, Cannoneer is going to be literally stacked. Stop to bottom. Top to bottom, there's not one bad fight in that entire fight card. From early prelims to the main event, nothing but bangers. So if you're an MMA fan, dude, these last next few weeks are juicy. But those are my picks going forward for the next week's fights i didn't go into every single fight but those are the ones that i think you should bet on um again bet responsibly don't go crazy don't throw money at fucking anything but i i want you to win some money so you should go with my picks but that's episode eight of round six mma talk of course this drops every single tuesday at 7 a.m eastern standard time and looking forward to talk to you guys next week bye